0: Welcome to the Mike Quirk Podcast.
1: Now give me my theme music.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This series is brought to you with the help of PST Sport. PST Sport is a design and build specialist contractor focusing exclusively on the design and construction of artificial grass pitches and supporting infrastructure for soccer, GAA, rugby, hockey and tennis. PST's portfolio includes over 50 FIFA certified artificial grass pitches, as well as multiple pitches tested and approved for World Rugby, GAA and FIH standards. PST Sports have done over 500 artificial grass pitches for clubs, schools, colleges and local authorities in Ireland and the UK for all different sporting codes. Visit pstsport.com for more details. OK, folks, so uh, welcome back again. Yeah, delighted to say uh, this is our fourth episode. Um, I didn't even think we'd have a first series. Never mind, a fourth episode of the second series. So um, this one is is probably a little bit more uh, basketball orientated in one sense. Um, I've got Alan Keen, uh, Alan Keen. People in in Chile and Kerry Allen will will know you. You'll be familiar to to people from from Chile Tigers days back in the day. Uh, and now obviously you're you're based in the UK and you've done a lot of you know work in in terms of coaching with UK basketball and different things. Um, so delighted to get you on, man. Appreciate your time.
1: Um, it was an absolute pleasure, buddy. I was surprised when you reached out. Um, I've listened to plenty of your podcasts Actually, during lockdown there, you kept it you kept me company with Russ Bradford on one of them and there was many more. You're doing a great job.
0: I appreciate <laughs> why were you saying you were surprised, man? you didn't think I'd give uh. you you know uh,
1: I, yeah i i guess uh you know you you've dropped the bar for me today anyway so it's, <laughs> it, it's a very low one to go crack on anyway
0: that's 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 our criticism maybe alan for the people that aren't as familiar with you and and obviously i've been reading up in the last couple of days again and look at the different things that you that you're doing and that you have done will you just kind of give people maybe a, a quick overview of some of the things that you've done in, a, in that kind of coaching sphere yeah
1: yeah absolutely um well, I've been living in the UK a long time now, Mike, you know, probably too long, really. But um, I've been over here probably 15 years, I'd say 16 years. I was in London for a good most of that, you know, down in London for 14. I'm up in Scotland now for the last year and a half. Okay. Um, but just coaching basketball, started out generally, worked my way up to the national team. I probably coached at about, I'm in double digits anyway, of European championships. You know, four or five of them are in Division A, so you're playing against Spain, Turkey, you know, Greece, the bigger teams and stuff like that. Under 16s, under 18s, under 20s. Uh, professional level here, Division Two, we'll call it. Um, it. Is there for about six or seven years down in Reading with Reading Rockets, and the past two years I'm up here in Scotland with um, it was Glasgow Rocks last year. This year's Caledonia Gladiators, and currently I'm sitting in uh, a venue in Edinburgh. I'm the head of basketball for a club in Edinburgh, which is. I mean, mind-blowing. It's a podcast in itself, how this club operates, but um, really fascinating. So, and then on the side, John, I wear a different hat, I guess, as well, in terms of doing a lot of coach development, coach support. I run a company called Movement Sports um, and my, with my colleague, Simon Turner, and we're working with coaches from Canada, the States, Austria, Germany, Australia, um, and that's been a fascinating one. Like, that's really, I'm finding that more. I don't know if I'm, somebody asked me one time, Mike, are you a coach or are you a coach developer? Mm. And and it was an interesting question. I never thought about it intentionally like that before. But I'm somewhat, as much as I love coaching, it's in my heart actually. You know, and we had some great ones back in the day, didn't we, with Russ and Shawnee Burrs and those like. Mm. But actually, coach development is really stimulating me at the moment. Um, mm. And it's 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 there's an interesting story maybe there to be told as we talk more.
0: Yeah, and that is a good question, man. Like I I often find as well. Like I think it's I think there's obviously great similarities between the two coaching coaching players, coaching children, adults, whatever it is. But then also, in one sense, kind of coaching coaches and, and helping them develop or helping them learn and improve what they do. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And the thing, I think I think it's a bit like playing, Mike. You know, you see a lot of fellas there going into premiership or even fellas in the NBA, you know, the player who becomes the coach. Mm. They're not always very successful, you know, because, you, but there's another side to it too. Like, you do have a different sense when you're coaching. Have you been a player like when a player walks in the gym and you're just reading the body language, going, hmm, he's not himself today. And you can just tell the minute they walk in the door. I think being a player has enabled you to do that better, maybe, or, you know, especially if, if you're early on in the career. But um, yeah, we'll get into it in a minute. We'll get into I'm sure. But it, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a domain, Mike, that I'm torn at the moment. I love coaching. It's what I do 24 7, sadly, um, in some ways. But I'm very, I'm getting disheartened the more I support coaches and, I, and they let me into their world. I'm actually getting more disheartened about the domain and the state it's in at the moment. If I'm being honest.
0: Right. Okay. And before before we get in before we get into that, and I'm sure we will. The you're you're also you're doing a PhD. Yeah. Well, like the last time
1: we saw each other, I probably had a bit more hair. I've currently got more <laughs> hair on my eyebrows than I do on the top <laughs> of my head, and I, my PhD is a big part for that reason, uh, Mike. I'm doing it. I've been, I'm I'm probably five years in. Yeah, I think this will be my. I'm coming to the end of my fifth year. Um, I'm hoping to to submit my, my um my thesis in in the next month or so. Um, I say that every month, and I keep it keep kicking the can <laughs> down the road, like. But um, yeah. I'm doing it on I'm doing it on self-regulated learning. So I'll tell you in a, in a quick nutshell, Mike. What I had to do, I basically recorded myself for a year. It sounds very egotistical, but actually the main body of it is um was recording all my timeouts, all the pregame, halftime, postgame, every every training session. And I'd been doing that for years anyway, Mike, with the national team. I got into good practice about five or six years ago where I decided, you know what, I'm not sure the timeouts are effective. So I was getting the team manager or the physio or the SSC, just to record every timeout. And I'd go I, Monday morning, I'd go into the office and I'd watch my timeouts and I'd watch the halftime. And, you know, very often I didn't like what I saw, but it allowed me to pivot and make some changes. But I had to do that for the course of a year um, because it was all around the the, the projects all around. How can you coach somebody to be independent and independent, interdependent with the teammates and self-motivated at acquiring new skills and knowledge, let's say? So, back in our day, probably John Tehan ticked a lot of those boxes without mm. us even knowing what self regulated learning was, driven mm. from within, didn't need somebody to drive him, uh, motivated, would soak up everything a coach would say like a sponge. He had that in him. Now, where he got it from would fascinate me is that childhood, is that parenting, is that upbringing, is that environment. Mm. But my, my project's taken me down the road of well, how can I coach? How can I. What interventions can I use that enables a player to become more self-sufficient, self-managing? And I'm not talking about self-managing with their life, even though it carries over. Mm. I'm talking about being self, self-sufficient self on the spot, under pressure. Game is in the mode. Game is in the flow. You're in action. You're going. Referee doesn't make a call, right? Where's your mind go next? Mm. And are you able to self-manage emotionally, but also are you able to self manage in terms of decision making so it goes a long way towards improving the decision maker for a player. Mm-hmm. so i've opened up a can of worms with it really mike yeah. and, and the more i'm learning about it the more i'm learning Geez, there's there's a rabbit hole here yeah but um yeah we're getting there about a that's month off, ago that's always
0: the way with study man and oh, as soon as man. you start looking at something you start realizing how little you actually oh, yeah. you actually know about a kind of area or whatever yeah. but that's so you you started i'll just stay with this for a minute but you recorded timeouts pre-game post-game your own, your own, just yourself. What you were saying and what you were delivering, and your 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 PhD was based around reviewing some of that information and analyzing that.
1: Absolutely, and there was interventions to put in place. Like so, the, what I was recording was exactly what you said it is, what you said it was there, Mike. But I had I there was I was intentional about the way I was coaching. I was intentional about the interventions I was using to enable players to do what I wanted them to do. So, for example, a lot of it was around stepping back from the players and kind of giving them a voice and a choice and not just rolling the balls out, stepping away. We're going down the athlete-centered approach to coaching here and now with this conversation. But, like, it was very much around, right, fellas, you know, we do recall checks at the start of every training session. And the recall check is something we, I should have been doing as a teacher for 10 years, and I never did it really, looking back on it. But, uh, you know, you come into the next practice and you step back, you put them into a scenario you set the scenario. Rugby rugby coaches are brilliant for this. Basketball coaches are terrible in, in general speaking. Um, you, you set up a scenario, and you let them go, and you step back, and now you're observing, trying to gather data. Are they recalling the stuff that you think that we're good at? And you soon find out we're not. So now you're pivoting your session going forward, because actually, they're not performing. They're not in the performance stage. They're still in the learning phase. So we need to spend more time on it. And it was enabling them to take time outs in the practice and put, put a clock on them and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. There was a lot of interventions around not just being independent, but being interdependent. So there's a lot of a lot of um, a lot of gravity on interdependency within the sessions.
0: Right. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm just like it would be fascinating if you were a coach at any level to have somebody just recording, video recording, or audio recording the stuff that you're actually saying and listening listening back with a critical ear. Even if you're talking, and i and again, I'm always conscious here Alan, that like there's people who will be listening to this that are dealing with under sevens. In, yeah. in soccer or rugby or basketball or whatever, and the same thing with 18s or seniors or whatever. So there's a big wide spectrum, but that's one that anybody, like that you you can have somebody observe you or record you, and just to pick up once or twice a couple of times and listen to the stuff you're actually saying, yeah. I wonder how accurate or how effective or how impactful that kind of stuff is.
1: Massive. Absolutely massive. And I I, I won't repeat what you've said there because I'm just in completely agreement, but I'll, I'll take it to another level, let's say, or, or pivot slightly. Put a, put a GoPro, put a chest harness and a GoPro on one of your players for 20 minutes in a practice session. Mm. So like, for example, what's the common complaints we have? Oh, we don't talk or guys, I've told them a hundred times before, or, you know, we're doing, uh, we've covered this before. They're not doing it. They're not talking on defense, blah, blah, blah. Okay. We'll put a GoPro camera on their chest. For 20 minutes, rotate the chest harness every 20 minutes. Two-hour practice, you've six players on video. Don't even watch it as a coach. All right, boys, here you go. There's your 20 minutes. There's your 20 minutes. Come back and tell me what you think. You know what they come back and say? Hey, coach, I'm sorry. You're right. I don't talk at all on defense. Or you know what? On that down screen there, I didn't call switch. You're right, coach. The camera doesn't lie.
0: Yeah, but yeah,
1: yeah. It's, it's very prevalent these days, John. There's a lot of talk. Or, I keep going, John. Mike, there's a lot of talk around... Put the camera on yourself as a coach, but actually take the same principle and put it on the player. Like mm-hmm. you, you can have some really rich conversations now, because when you sit down with a professional player, especially Mike, you're dealing with big egos. They're like and mm-hmm. fellas who are in self-preservation mode, and rightly so too, because they're being attacked left, right, and center, mm-hmm. and they're having to perform every time they step on the court. Like you know, we don't perform as well as we. We're not spiked in our performances and our job every day, but we're expecting them to be, and they get critiqued when they don't. But actually when you when you sit down and watch that video with a player and you sit back and you ask questions from a place of curiosity, genuine curiosity. Like I ask coaches all the time, how many times have you asked your player a question where you don't know the answer? Like it doesn't happen, you know? We ask a question, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete-centered coach. You ask questions, you're talking, you're telling them the answer before you even finish asking the question. But my point being like, this is a great process to do with a player, not just a coach, you
0: know? Yeah, for sure, yeah. And I take take us back there. So you you obviously would have you're From Trilly in, in, in Kerry. You would have played your basketball with Trilli Tigers. Uh you got a good education from from some of the coaches <laughs> that you were dealing with there. Uh you would have played obviously Irish International and that kind of stuff. Uh how how like it's a big jump from there to obviously you said what 15 years now you're over in the UK coaching and
1: yeah, and probably more than that there, thereabouts anyway. Yeah. 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 And, you...
0: and and how did how did that stuff like, you know from coming from chile from that level how did that compare in terms of i'm just thinking of coaching now and i'm not trying to disparage anybody here the the level of coaching that you were getting there to where to where coaching has gone now i suppose is the question mm-hmm. uh like there's obviously been a huge transformation or has there in in the type of coaching or how you were coached there you know in the two in the two two different yeah great field. great yeah,
1: question the... great question and you, you you've got my juices flowing here because i want to speak about somebody in particular. Whenever I refer to back home or I talk about my days back home I had one coach, Mike, that taught me more about coaching that had nothing to do, that has made me a better coach, but has nothing to do with tech tac. And that was Shawnee Burroughs. Mm-hmm. Shawnee Burroughs as a coach where you know not consciously at the time, but as I look back, Shawnee taught me how to care for people, how to how to care and be considerate of others. Shawnee taught, Shawnee taught me to care for others and I don't and it wasn't intentional. He did it by the way he coached. I, I always felt I belonged. Anytime I walked into a Tigers practice when Shawnee was coaching or Gat Carey, I felt like I belonged in those environments. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had coaches not not back home, uh, more so over here that, you know, you walk and I've worked with coaches, you walk into the environment and the players are in fear. I'm talking about pro players here. Huh? You know, you the players are coming to you as an assistant going, oh, how, how's the head coach today? They're on, they're, they're on eggshells wanting to know is he in a good mood or a bad mood. I never felt that way with the coaches I had, you know, back home. And Sean, he sits top of that top of that tree, really, top of that mountain. Um, and Russ said something to me one time. Russ Bradford said, when I went into coaching early, you know, I reached out to Russ and I said, look, my man, you, you've been there a lot. You know, you've, you've, you've forgotten more than I'll ever know. Like, give me some advice here. A long time ago, I don't know if he'll remember, um, uh, he said to me, he said, look, Alan, he said, don't worry about the superstars. He said, everyone's looking after them. He said, you know, their their egos have been stroked daily. He says, those players 9 through 12 that sit down the end of your bench, make sure you make those fellas feel special. Make sure they feel like that they're they're respected, that they they matter. You know, just make sure that make go the extra mile. And when I reflect back there, Mike, I think Russ did that because I was one of those 9 through 12 there for a period of time. And, you know, he was, I never felt, I always felt like Russ was on my side. I wasn't just there to make up numbers and stuff, you know? So they were great. They were great bits of advice. I got better than any tech Yeah, You're right about the game, Mike. It has grown and it's probably grown too much, too fast, too quick. And it's, I don't, I think there's diminished returns on investment of time from coaches being put into the tech tack. The game is simple. Do less and do it better is, is, is a very simple philosophy. But I'll end this, I'll I'll shut up here in a second by saying, Joe, we have a motto there with the company we run at Movement Sports. You know, we tell uh, we tell our coaches all the time, and and they don't buy in. They don't all buy in. Some do. A better understanding of who you coach will enable you to better coach what you want to coach and how you want to coach it. And this is we're coaching people, like you know, this isn't rocket science. You know, I mean, I look back and greatest teammate like Kieran and yourself are two great teammates. But you were people, you, you know, you were you were a people's player, Mike. So was so so is Kieran. Like, you know, they they play for other people. They don't play you guys didn't play for yourselves, you play for other people. And yeah. coaching's the same. You're you're dealing with people. It's not rocket science. The, the fellas who are spending all day long on Twitter getting, you know, new new plays, new drills. That's good stuff. And you do need a knowledge base. I'm not I'm not right. diminishing that at all. You need a yeah. knowledge base, but a better understanding of who you coach will enable you to do all that stuff so much better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and obviously you spoke about Russ there and Russ, for people who wouldn't be sure, even though Russ was on, he would have been on the last series we had, Russ would have coached the Chile Tigers uh, back in the day and he was also an assistant coach at UTEP from Texas El Paso and different things. Really, really interesting character as well and, and good guy. And would always have been one of those fellas, Alan, that was, you know, hugely... Concerned with with the entire group as opposed to as you say the, the the top three or four guys or whatever those those guys are always getting looked after and well well you know supported but it's it's trying to make those other guys feel you know as big a part of it as everybody else is the key thing and and, and like going back to Shawnee Burrows you you mentioned it there and this has come up this is a recurring theme and this is this is why I kind of enjoy doing this because I mm-hmm. I, I I like people to hear this stuff because everybody thinks it's about how you set up and how you play and. What type of defense you're playing? If it's basketball, or it's football, or it's soccer, the runs you're doing, or any of that. So the, the, the recurring theme over all of these is about coaches developing a relationship with the people that they're coaching. And and you mentioned it in Charlie Burrows's case that you felt he cared, like he cared for the players, he cared for you, and 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 then you're 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 more. You want to play well. You want to train. You want to get better. You want to improve because this guy is looking out for you more than just what you were able to deliver to him.
1: No question. Shawnee, Shawnee to me, right? Shawnee had it all, Mike, because he taught me how to shoot, right? And the back, I think back in my younger years, I would, would be known as a decent shooter yeah. anyway. And he, he I, I can remember Shawnee pulling me to the side after an under fifteen training session above the sports complex, showing me the, the correct technique of how to shoot. It's the first time any coach ever did that. And I you know the way he the way he taught me is what I remember. I remember the technique. But i was locked in and listening to him because he did it with he did it from a place of care he did it with an authenticity that had me locked in i mean you notice know, like as a player my players can see through coaches like they a coach is like a pay, a pane of glass like and I, I think the sooner we realize that the better it doesn't like it's okay to have bad days as well and stuff but you know, you hear a lot. Can I can I go off on a tangent here or not? You right? do it, man. So, so cut me off at any point. You hear a lot about coaches these days saying, "No, oh, I'm a player's coach, or I'm a relationship coach," and, and that's great stuff. And I love the intention. And I and I, I I applaud coaches who actually have that mindset. The question will always remain: Well, what are you doing? What are you tangibly doing that's enabling you to be uh, a person-centered coach? Or you put the person before the player. What do you do intentionally? And I'll share one idea with you. There's a very simple way to do this. One thing is on your practice plan, where we're writing all the drills and times and the teams and the structure and the teaching points and stuff, before you write any of that stuff, at the top of your session plan, write down three people that you'll connect with before tonight's practice. Micheal Quirk, Kieran Donaghy, Kevin O'Donoghue, three lead. That's some three-on-three team there, Mike, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, so you write down Mike, Kieran, Kevin on the top of your session plan. And next to that, you write down what I'm going to connect with him about tonight. Mike, I recognize Mike was looked a little disgruntled when he left practice last night. Check in with him tonight. Kieran's, you know, he's, he's working hard. His body's taking a beating. Just get a real perspective on where he's, where he's at with his body. Does he need a day off? Kevin I know Kevin's dog died a couple of days ago. He's probably feeling down, checking with him. How's life? Are they going to get a new dog? So you're being intentional about who you check in. When you write that down in a session plan, it does a couple of things. Because we all think, oh, I'm going to do it. Everybody wants to do it. But when you write it down in the session plan, um, when you're a coach and you walk into the gym, you're getting pulled in six or seven different directions. You forget to check in with the people you were going to check in with. So you get to the end of the session or during the session, oh, geez, I never checked in with Mike. It's written on the session plan. I generally do it after the training session because you do get pulled in different directions. The second thing it does for you is actually goes, right, I checked in with those three guys last practice. I'm going to check in with somebody. So you, you, you're you actually spreading the load. Let's say you're widening who you're checking in with instead of the same five or six people all the time. Because it's it's generally on the pro level here, it's generally the guy that's getting the speeding fines or he's not keeping the apartment tidy or he's or he's misbehaving and blah, 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 or his attitude's poor. They're the guys you're generally giving these one-to-ones yeah. for, and there's the spit, like a teacher with the naughty kids. Like, you know, you're generally being pulled, all your energy's being pulled there. But actually, if you write this stuff down, you you become a bit more intentional about getting across the team.
0: Yeah, and, and actually, I spoke to Frank Dick uh, in the last one, and Frank was making the very same point about, uh, we were, I was asking about culture and, and developing a kind of a positive team culture, and, and one of those things was, you know, there's no point putting a big sign up in the wall uh, about what it is you're going to do, or putting a thing into your pocket. It that it has to be lived, and it has to be kind of real and living and breathing, and and that's one of the kind of things that he he was speaking about as well is is that idea of highlighting a couple of guys before your session and and really going after them and, and catching them doing stuff well and you know being being uh, I suppose. That idea, like we're very quick as coaches to catch people doing stuff wrong or to correct them when they're not doing stuff, wrong. but that idea of being intentional about catching them doing stuff right and 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 checking in in the way that you talk about is obviously a very powerful thing.
1: You've you've hit the nail on the head. Of course, you have things you've talked about a legend there, like in coaching. But um, Stephen Rolnick's a fascinating guy, Mike. You should look up. Right, he, he's he's a clinical psychologist and he was working in the medical industry for forty years. But he he's all his work was around how can i connect with people quickly and have them and and facilitate them to um, engage in change talk so he worked with a lot of addicts and and people that were reforming from difficult times and different things like that and now think on the extreme level steven talks a lot about like wearing um, strength lenses and not being a deficit detector. And as coaches, that's—I mean—he's now working with coaches. hes do, hes hes he's, uh, hes done amazing stuff with uh, with us with movement in terms of educating us. Let's say, right. Um, but he's—he's—he's he's, he's a big advocate of. Coaches need to wear strength lenses more and stop being deficit detectors because anytime we're watching a performance, we're generally deficit detecting. And it's so easy to go in, to go there. And I remember talking to one of our our movie members at the start of the season, he's coaching a pro women's team. And he was telling me, oh, you know, this, this, she, she's hard work. She's this, she's this. And I just said, look, tell me the things that she does well. Let's park all that. now. tell me what she does well. And the stuff, I said, the stuff you told me there shrinks, all the bad stuff, but your mind is only on the bad stuff. So now how can you increase the good stuff that will hopefully dampen down the bad stuff? So, role like strength lenses versus where strength lenses versus being a deficit detector is one and the other thing you talked about there that had my my thoughts flying around Mike was I want to share something with you about you talked about environment and culture and stuff and living the behaviors and things like that you know because culture is basically people like us do things like this here. you're able to describe your behavior what you do mm-hmm. people like us do things like this. That's culture. It could be good or it could be bad. It's it's culture. You're living it, basically. Um, there's a thing called the care climate that we're, we're digging down into. And I think it's a fascinating, fascinating um, direction for all coaches to go. Now, it's fairly new in terms of its um, usage in the sports world. Colin Cronin out of Liverpool, John Morris, another Irish fellow. Colin Crowe now, Liverpool, John Moores Universities, is helping me massively bring it to life here in the club I'm currently in. And it's, it's uh, something I'm kind of squeezing into the end of my, my studies. But basically, a care climate is measuring the level of care that exists in your environment. So now we're talking about the sports world. So we've, we've done some work with uh, some college coaches in the States on this. And you know what? The data that came out of it has a lot of gravity. It's pretty hard-hitting, if I'm being honest. So it'll probably help if I talk you through the the process. It's effectively anonymous questionnaires that that we, as a third party, would give to um, to the athletes, to the players, and and it's the questionnaires on three different levels. On the first level, the players are answering questions around the the, the relationship with, from player to player. What's it like? And it's all anonymous, like so. There's a safe space to put in whatever you want the the second phase is around uh, coach athlete relationship so players perspectives on the on the coach athlete relationship and then the, the third phase is all around the environment so the coaches' coaching the the practice session what it feels like and it's a lot around belonging and you know do i belong do i feel like i belong here um, do i feel respected do i feel heard do i feel looked looked after do i feel safe um, and some of the stuff that comes out of these questionnaires, like is, is, like for a coach to say, to, to read that and go, actually, they think I'm demonstrative.
0: Mm.
1: Coach, you know, I was promised this, but the reality is that, um, you know, it, it doesn't give me any time, but spends all his time with these four players over here. So you're actually, it can be hard hitting, but you're measuring the level of care mm. that exists in your environment. Now, the right way to do it is probably four times a year, four treatment points you baseline your start, you baseline the end and you do two two assessments in the middle mm. and that information might can allow a coach to go away and go, we're three months in, this is awful. I've, like, I've got to really consider how I'm speaking to the players and now we're speaking to the players in a way because it's based on results and there's job security and all these other dimensions that fit in there but, you know, if you are really bringing your culture to life or that billboard or that poster to life, all these All these things you say are a culture. Well, then what are you doing to measure that? Where's your evidence that that culture is alive and well? Because if you're not measuring the impact of your coaching, how do you know you're coaching well? How do you know you're not coaching better? Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And how can you do it better? What three great questions I stole from Dan Abrams, by the way. I didn't come up with those. What great three questions to ask yourself. What am I doing? Why am I doing it this way? And can I do it better? You know now if we, if we talk about culture with those three questions you're probably moving in a healthy direction yeah
0: yeah and and it's very they're very simple and very straightforward but if you can answer those well and you and you have a a really well thought out solid answer for each of those then then you're you're probably not in a in a in a very poor place you know uh that's that's really interesting that that clear care climate and like i I just find all that stuff fascinating and I know a lot of coaches that are like you know yourself, man, that that like the talk of soft skills or the idea of, you know, the people skills and being able to speak to people. It's just not weighted. Any of the coach education stuff that you go through, which I think a lot of it is is not fit for purpose anyway, but any of that stuff that you go through by any of the NGBs, it's all weighted so heavily on the technical and the tactical side of things and how we, how we set up a training session, how we do that. And again, like the point you made, that's all necessary, especially if coaches are starting out. They need to develop a bank of that kind of information so that what they're delivering is of a decent quality. But there should be so much weight put on, on that idea of, of developing your people skills. And regardless of your you know brilliance as a technical coach, if your people skills are strong, you're going to keep people playing games for an awful lot longer than they probably are right now.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, I won't repeat what you said, but I'll summarize it by saying, like, we've all been to coaching courses, Mike, that's, you know, talked about the tech tack, as you said, or even a little bit about culture. Nothing about managing people. Hmm. Nothing about, ma- how, how do you, like, you, you take over head coaching. I'm supporting a coach that's, that's a pro coach in, in in Northern Europe at the moment, right? And, He's first, he came out of the college, college coaching in the States and now he's coaching pro in a, in a, in a, in a country here in Europe, uh, first year. I mean, th- his challenges are not tech-tech. His challenges are not scouting reports. They're not uh, practice design, training design. His, cha- his biggest challenge is having difficult conversations with ownership, difficult conversations with players, difficult conversations with end-of-the-bench players, difficult conversations with superstars. There's no coaching course that's prepared him for that. How do you navigate a difficult conversation with another human being? Because you know, as yourself, with all the years of experience you've had, I can imagine you've witnessed and potentially been involved into some degree some really tricky conversations with coaches or ownership or management to some degree. But we're doing it blindfold. We're doing it blindly. And I think, I think at some point, like somebody has to come out with, a coach development course. Dare I say it? A coach development course that enables a coach to navigate the daily reality challenges of working in that environment. It's ain't tech, tech, man. Mm-hmm. You know that's yeah. what YouTube's there for. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's the hard bit, buddy. That's yeah. the real hard bit.
0: Like Fra- Frank spoke about the difference between what you can be taught and and what you need to learn, and and obviously what you need to learn is is that people side of it, and 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 you only are going to learn that by. By you know being exposed to those kind of situations where you are in a conversation with a with a you know a, a, a player about you know something that's not working out or something that he's doing well or wh- whatever it is, and like through those experiences is is what gives you that 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 learned knowledge I suppose to be able to handle those stuff a little bit better.
1: Let Let me ask you this, right? You're asking great freaking questions. You got my mind really flowing here and I'm and I'm tired by that. you didn't even pretty- get my
0: name right for the first twenty five <laughs> minutes of it.
1: How could I forget my part? But do you know do you know the, the the question that should be asked on Mike, is if we're saying this and it's commonly experienced, um why aren't coaches tackling it and approaching it more? You know, and I and I, I have I have a I have my thoughts as to why, which I'll share with you, but You know, when teams aren't winning and teams aren't doing well, in basketball world anyway, you know, I don't know the Gaelic football world as well, like so, or the soccer world or rugby world as well, but in the basketball world, when teams aren't doing well, the coach generally, generally adds in a new set play, new tactic, new formation, new schemes, new defensive philosophies, new concepts. The solution very often isn't there. The solution is actually in dealing with people. And I'll tell you, my opinion on why I think it's coaches go towards tech tech because it's freaking hard to sit down and have a difficult conversation with another human being because it's emotionally laborious. Mm-hmm. It drains the life out of you and it's hard. It's easier to say, Do you know what? Let's put in a new horns offerings there because he's not getting enough touches or you know what? Oh geez, we're, we're allowing him, We're, we're, we're giving up 90 points a game. Let's put in next coverage on ball screen defense. No mind, no, no lens towards actually am I doing something that they're able to do or doing something I want to do for an alternative reason? Where actually, if I peel this all the way back, go hang on a second. I just need to sit down and have some difficult conversations with these guys and say your behavior is unacceptable, that that's not going to be tolerated here anymore. And if it is, here's what's going to happen hard work to do that especially the higher up the level you
0: go hard work man absolutely and i wrote down there it's easier like it's easier it's easier to do the technical and tactical stuff like that's the easy that's easy it's the it's those conversations that are a little bit difficult and again and i and again i'm talking here you know not and not so much even difficult conversations but talking to uh, uh, you know 313s about uh, how do we get better a- asking them how do they improve how how can how can you improve your own performance how can we improve as a team give me a couple of things here and like those those are the conversations that, that enable those in their 13s or 15s or 17s or seniors to actually start thinking for themselves and making decisions and, and seeing what's best for them and how they, how they can plot a, you know, a path to improvement for themselves.
1: But you're talking about a very difficult topic. There are like, excuse me, Mike, um, questions. Like what's an effective <laughs> question to ask in a training session? And I would always tell, you know, especially coaches who are not as experienced with that way of coaching, if you're coaching through a lens of actually um, involving the players, giving them a voice and a choice, let's say, then you have to be pretty efficient at asking the right questions to get rich information out of the player that will help them to play better. And it's very simple. What are you noticing? Hey, Mike, timeout, time out. our subs. Mike, come over here, buddy. What are you seeing here? Just talk me through what you're seeing now. Bang, you're getting data what Mike is seeing. So I'm not now verbally vomiting on you. Mike, you need to rotate. I, Mike already knows he needs to rotate. So why am I telling him? Let me find out what he thinks first. And, and another simple question is, what's getting, Mike, what's getting in the way of you performing well at the moment from your point of view? You know? And now you're talking about relationship building. So right. I think questioning is a very, very hard aspect of coaching, Mike. And I think us as coaches, we have to invest time in actually asking the right questions, plan questions on your session plan, start the scenario plan, you know, start the horizon plan. What could happen that I could ask a question to solve this problem of a player? It's, you get some really rich information back and you save your own voice as well. You go home with more energy instead of shouting the solution down the court, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah, and it's, and it's more enjoyable for the players too, though. Uh, you know and, more enjoyable. And like, you're talking about asking the right questions there, whereas, and, and I think... Well, asking the right questions is is obviously the desired um thing at at each age group. But as old as the older you get, the accuracy and the the of the questions need to be better, obviously. But even if you're younger, if you're talking about real, real smallies, asking questions rather than giving a solution, even if it's not the right question, is forcing them to actually think and formulate an answer and come back to you with something. Well, maybe what they say isn't the right thing, but at least it's getting them into the idea of okay, the coach is, is looking for my opinion. I've got to be tuned in to see what's going on and I'm going to give an answer. And maybe if it's wrong, it's right, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But he's asking my, my opinion, so I'm going to have to give it to him. And then obviously as we get older, no, yeah. no, we're getting a little bit more technical and, and a little bit more accurate about exactly what we are asking.
1: Yeah, and I think that the thing to be mindful of there as well is like, it's okay to tell. It's okay to be prescriptive. But it's, it's not okay to be doing that 100% of the time. Yeah. And I think we live along a spectrum. And this is where the experienced coach, the Shawnee Burrows, the Russ Bradbirds of the world were very good. I thought they were very good at, 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 at moving along that spectrum from guiding to following, mm-hmm. following us by asking you questions, guiding by telling us, telling us to asking us, where are you along that spectrum based on the context of what's going on in front of you, based on how that player is feeling based on that player's experience and what you know them. So you're back to now, a better understanding of who you coach will enable you to coach them better. Mm-hmm. And that's the enable you to ask them the, the right questions or will enable you to say, right, here's the solution. Here's the answer because you need it. It's you're under pressure or, or let me help you kind of thing. So that spectrum is important to know where to be and you've got yeah. to be along at, at different points.
0: Yeah, and, and for sure. And and again, and and like the, the younger kids, like they definitely need a little bit more prescription. They do need more prescription than the older, than the older, as old as you get. Um, but I still think, I, I just think that, that idea of, of coaches asking questions, I keep saying it, I think it's the most underutilized coaching tool that we have, um, that we don't do enough, That it's not, it's not prevalent enough in, in coaching, whereby like our, our first thing is, can we, can we elicit the information over them rather than like you you said their you know, word vomit on top of them and telling them everything that we know. Um, Absolutely, which really going to help them when they need to make a big decision. Um, and I just uh, like because we, I suppose, we've got off on every kind of attention there as we, we possibly could, but that's that's no that's no bad thing either. Uh, I'm just thinking, out like, like for, for coaches that are not as experienced as, as as what you've been doing, some of the things that you found that you've struggled with a little bit, kind of the pitfalls or or stumbling blocks that you've come across in your in your own kind of journey that would be related, yeah. to, the people yeah, in sports, I
1: very clear for me, Mike, very clear, uh, worried about what others think. You know, absolutely, I got hold my hand up there and there's no hiding from it. You know, you sit, you, you stand on the sideline there and if you're coaching junior players, you've got the parents up in the balcony and wondering what they're thinking about your coaching will we'll, we'll have you coaching in a way that maybe doesn't align with how you want to coach. Or if you go on the other end of the spectrum there when you're coaching a your pro team or players who are getting paid, and you've got the owner sitting over there in the stands or sitting behind the bench actually listening to the timeouts, um, it, 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 it could have you coaching in a way, like you said, that doesn't align to your true values as a coach. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm lucky that I don't have to worry about that anymore. And it's not that I don't have to worry about it because I'm not in the environment where I have to worry about it or I'm mature. It's, it's actually I've just kind of gotten over myself and I'm, and I'm comfortable with who I am. I I feel like at this stage, Mike, you know, now I've forensically recorded everything and I've been able, I've sat in my office some days and I put my hands over my face going, God, that was awful. Like, you know, the, 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 the tantrums on the sideline. I have to tell you a quick story here. We were coaching against Sweden. Actually, you know, one of the, the assistant coaches for Sweden, I'll say his name in a minute. We were coaching against Sweden back in 2013 or 14, whatever it was, three game series in preparation for the European Championship. And my fiance Esther was a GB gymnast back in the day, where where it was a lot more. It was a Bobby Knight type of approach to coaching in, right. in the gymnastics world, right? She had the the Russian gymnastic coaches, the German gymnastic West Germany gymnastic coaches. Anyway, she came to game three of three. Michael Bree was an assistant coach with the yeah. Swedish team at the time. Uh, she came to the third game on the Sunday, and we'd we'd rolled over Sweden on Friday and Saturday. And Sunday was, you know, we took care of business again on Sunday in terms of results and outcome. So, you anyway, I'm thinking I'm the big coach, you know, I've done a great job here and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, I jump into the car, we go home, she's very quiet. And I said, you're all right. She says, uh, you know, I think you should, when you watch the game back, I think you should watch yourself more than the team because, you 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 know, you're a bit heavy with them. And, I was like, and straight away, it was like you put a needle in a balloon. The ego was just destroyed, like, you know, in one <laughs> sentence. I didn't say anything, but it rattled me. It rattled the hell out of me. But I would say this, it was one of the turning points where I kind of turned the lens on myself here. And I did watch myself. I did. I, I wasn't watching the plays we ran, and you know, like you know, blah blah blah. I'm the big coach, look at me, ran a good offense. We scored, blah blah. The, I mean, the reality is, Mike, had incredibly talented players. That's why we won the game. I needed to get out of their way. Actually, looking back on it, mm. but that was one of the turning points. And I think it's it's shining the turning the like the win the the Windex paradigm. As Ian McLeod says, you hold that mirror up in front of you, make sure it's crystal clear, and make sure you're honest with what you see. But I love what you keep doing in this conversation. You keep taking it to the younger coaching, the younger players pathway. Mm. And it's, 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 it's exactly the same thing. Like, you know, we've got to be very mindful about how we're coaching these younger players because they're going to be the coaches of the future. Never mind the players of the future. If you're role modeling, you know, demonstrative behavior on the sideline, if you're role modeling inappropriate behavior on the sideline, which is too often prevalent, you're now dampening down the coaching profession for the future. Never mind the game; that's obvious. Never mind the performance or the sport. Um, I got off in a massive tangent, man. I can't remember what the topic was. No, 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 no.
0: <laughs> like, like you're like. There's been there's been several even just, and this is probably another little c- continuation of the tangent. But there's been several kind of relatively high profile incidents in juvenile sport, like over here in the last six months, mm. of like, you know managers or coaches fighting each other or, or getting involved in altercation with kids or, you know, whatever it is. And I, and I just think like, if somebody had uh, like, as you did for your, for your PhD, like if somebody put a camera on every juvenile coach, In all of Ireland, in the entire world, and just look at look at the stuff that goes on in in youth sport in America and different things with coaches, youth umpires, and all. Like you put a camera on somebody, and you actually go home and you ask that person. I want you just to watch yourself. Don't watch anything else about the game. Just watch you and what you did as a, your your physical, your shouting, your roaring. What what are you doing physically? Like I think, I think the vast majority of people would be would be hugely embarrassed by by some of the stuff
1: yeah, that they do. I agree. I agree. But you know, um, someone once said to me, Mike, I have to have to share this one, with you. someone once said to me, a very, very smart young man, like you know, he's been on um, young man, he's been coaching a long time. Um, he, he his point to me was like, we should be equipping athletes these days to deal with abusive coaching, and I had to sit back and go, hang on a second. No, what we should be doing is challenging the behaviors of these coaches. I don't care if you're NCAA Division I, you've been there 30 years. If you're the under 12 or the under 14 coach at your club and you've been there 30 years and you've won 25 national titles, mm-hmm. like we should be challenging that behavior because it's unacceptable. It's a simple fact. In any other world, you know, if you did it above Mount Hawk inside in the classroom, there, there, You know, there'd be, there be certain people called to come and take you away. But yet, we open up a sports venue and we just say, go for it. It's an acceptable way to behave. It's not. It's I don't want to swear on here, but I was. it's absolute BS. It's yeah. absolute BS. And it is unacceptable. And we should challenge it. Now, yeah. we should challenge it in a way that's not conflicting. I feel we should challenge it in a way where we can have a healthy conversation with a person who's behaving in such a way. You yeah. know, cause we wouldn't accept it from a player, would we?
0: Not at all, man. Not at all. And I think that's why I probably keep, and I, and I know I I probably overdo it, but I, I, I keep going back to those younger age groups, Alan, because, like, it's cool with the level you're coaching at now and, and the stuff that you're doing, and, and I'm involved in a nice, you know, good, good level. But there's still so many kids drop out of sport at, at those younger age groups that I think not all some kids just realize it's not for them and they, they go their own direction which is absolutely fine but i still think there's a large percentage of kids that drop out of sport for a, for a myriad of different reasons but coaching is certainly one of those reasons like um and and that's why i think i'm just i i i would just love to think that you know you could impact a couple of coaches that would impact several kids and it would keep those people playing longer whether they ever go on and represent you know their country or their whatever you know it's irrelevant in one sense. Uh, but but that's I think that's probably why I do keep going back to the man because I, I, I think we can do better as as underage coaches in every sport, in every country in the world, you know And I, I have an absolutely no doubt, Alan that I would think that 99 I, I would say hundred percent of coaches think what they're doing. Is, is the best, most positive thing that they can do for their team and for the kids that are playing in their club. I, I want to know, I, I you know, the vast, vast majority are, are in that bracket. um, But, you know, that, that still doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, we could just do it better. That's all. I, I I think there's no, there's no, there's nobody, whether you're operating at the very, very top of the tree or you're operating down to another sevens, I think we could all, we could all do it better. And, and and by reaching out to people like you are suggesting, you know, co- talking to a more experienced coach or somebody else, I think that's, that's a great way to, to learn and to improve and to ask questions again and, and to find better ways to do it. That's, I think that's just, uh, I think that's something for all of us, no matter how long we're coaching, everybody can improve and, and it's that lifelong learning kind of I suppose approach to the whole thing as opposed to just doing it the way that I've always done it because that's the way I did it when I was a kid. You know that yeah. kind of an approach?
1: Yeah, yeah. reflective practice you know yeah. you don't have to you don't have to go down a rabbit hole. What am I doing? Why am I doing it and how can I do it better? Just a bit of reflective practice after every training session you'll do the kids you'll do the kids a quality service and I'll finish with this one on this topic, Mark. If you're not growing and developing as a coach, you should be seen to be doing a disservice to the people you're coaching. And it might be just finishing up your practice on the drive home, reflecting about that session. That's all it needs to be. It doesn't need to be much more than that. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Um, Al, I, I, I'm conscious of your time now. man. so I, I'll, I'll wrap up shortly. Is there, is there anything, is there anything Al, that you, that we haven't really touched on that you think would be, you know, would be an important point to make?
1: Well, just the, co- the 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 coaching domain's a rabbit hole, isn't it, Mike? We could go yes. in so many we could go in so many different directions. I like, the only the only last thing I'd add there is like what we're doing is a privilege, and I think that's an important message. Like coaching young people, or any age, and at all, like any any person in a place. Of, of, of being able to influence a group of people positively is in a massively privileged position. Now, I'm saying, I'm preempting what I want to say by saying that. I think as coaches, we got to be very careful about our source of power, you know, because as soon as you put head coach before somebody's name or you give them that title, it could be a very dangerous place to be because it does carry a lot of power in a lot of ways because of how people look to you. It doesn't matter if it's on the 12s or professional level. And I think as coaches, we got to be very, very mindful how we're using that position um, and be careful because we have different sources. So, for example, you know, let's go back to when Russ was coaching us. Russ had knowledge power. He knew more about the game than us. So that's a real privilege for him. And it's a very useful and and, uh, very... um, Important that he shares that knowledge with all of us. He also had reward power, Mike. He was able to give us minutes decide, and he ha- he had full control of that. We didn't really. He could mm-hmm. decide whether you play twenty or thirty or two. Mm-hmm. So he had reward power. I think coaches taking a bit of a dive on what's my source of power and being, and just being um, being aware of that will probably have you coaching slightly different or a little bit better than you currently are. So do, do, just just being mindful of that is, is is a huge one. And the other thing I want to say about coaching as well, while we're talking about it, just start to identifying identifying your strengths and your stressors. You know, and I won't go down a rabbit hole here, but identifying, doing an audit, doing a self-audit. What's my strengths as a coach? And then what stresses me out most as a coach? You know, a lot of the coaches I'm speaking to, Mike, they're, 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 there's a lot going on with them as they get into the season. And sometimes you need to stop and take stock of where you're at and where's your time going because there's a lot of diminished returns for investment of time when you're a coach. And if you can get burnt out pretty quick and you could become pretty moody and pretty saturated and quite negative to be around pretty quick, especially if the losses are coming in and you really care about the score, whether it's under 14s or seniors. So just take stock, step back, remind yourself, this is a privilege. I'm doing well. What's stressing me out? What are my strengths? Amplify your strengths, dampen your stressors, and go again. Pressing the reset button regularly throughout the season, I feel is critical.
0: Mm. I, I I'll let you go on this one. I just I, I'm going back to your videoing because I I do think that's a very uh, fascinating exercise to 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 look at. What What did you say? Like, were were your biggest kind of improvements as a consequence of? of really reflecting on your own performance through that video? What what were the things that you really improved on because of that process?
1: I think I became very aware of my my body language. See, John, I... I, I Jesus, Mike... Like John, we're, nearly, John, we're nearly
0: we're nearly out the gap and, and you <laughs> took one well for 40 minutes <laughs> and you got to go back again. <laughs> well,
1: anyway, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, Mike, I'm very mindful, like, and this may sound strange what I'm about to say, right? But I'm very mindful. I don't have... I don't have a facial expression that says, welcome, I'm a kind, <laughs> loving person. That's just reality. And the way I, my body language, the video has really widened my lens to it. It's, it's really, sorry, not narrowed, I should say. It's narrowed my focus, actually, on how I come across just with my body language and facial expressions. And I've had to make, it, it does take energy from me, Mike, to actually come in there and without saying anything, look like that I'm... I'm a happy, welcoming, um, I care, and I'm, I'm here for you type person. It, it really takes a lot of energy for me to do it because my face is not structurally built that way, um, and my body language is definitely not built that way. So that's one of the things that probably maybe you wouldn't have thought that came out of it, but that was definitely one. I have to be intentional about how I physically approach a player sometimes or the group in particular.
0: Yeah, be intentional about your your body language and and uh, yeah, yeah. Even, even that man a smile a smile can be a powerful weapon at times.
1: Powerful weapon. It's not necessarily what was on the outside. My intention and outcome were very different. Very often. And um, it was having an impact on, on players' feelings. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real eye-opener, real eye-opener.
0: Interesting. There'll be, there'll be coaches now up and down Ireland in the, next, uh, in the next couple of weeks with someone getting videoed with camera phones to see what they're, what they're like when they're approaching players.
1: Um, Sp- speaking of Irish coaches, Mike, from a, I'll get a quick one in here. Just from afar, obviously, like living in Scotland, living in England for the past 15, 16 years, I I I now I'm only getting to perception on Twitter and social media and reading the paper online and stuff like that. Like there seems to be wonderful stuff going on with coaching in Ireland, and I do I I and I I'll go out the a limb and say I think it's ahead of the UK. I mm-hmm. really do. I think yeah I do. There's some fascinating. I'm reading reports in the, uh oh God I forget his name. Um yeah there's, there's a I'm, I'm, I keep up to date with what's happening in the coaching world and it's refreshing from my point of view anyway now others may argue differently and I may not know enough but with the data I have it looks like it's heading in a, in a heading in a good direction back home
0: yeah I, I think there's a bit of i think there's a bit of energy about it you know i I think people are are recognizing that like it's so it's so huge like, coaching is so massive uh, and unpaid industry in terms mm-hmm. of how we can keep people involved in sport for longer and then how we can develop them into people who want to compete at a high level if that's if that's their direction um, and I think there's a real energy around like how, how can we best facilitate both of those you know participation and performance sport. and and people are looking for information they're mad for you know I have a lot of people contacting me about these asking me for you know this bit of information that bit of information and, and I think and I think that's that's good. It's healthy. It's positive, man. And, and geez, the more people are looking for information, like sure that's that's only good, really, isn't it?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, good stuff, buddy.
0: Alan, thanks a million, man. I appreciate your time. I know you were under pressure there today, so so. Um, no problem. Thanks, thanks a million for that. It was great to catch up with you and be called John about fifty times. But um, <laughs> for, for those of you listening, again, folks, just to remember that this is a fundraiser for Recovery Haven in Tralee. Who are an organisation who provide free cancer support services for the people of Kerry and beyond. So if you did find some value in in um, in that episode or any of the episodes, obviously they and, and myself would appreciate a donation to the um, the fundraising page. That will be there's a link attached in in on my Twitter page at Mike Quirker in the podcast description below. So um, thank you very much everybody and Alan again. Thanks very much for your time and really appreciate it.
1: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Mike. Good
0: stuff.